0: Today marks the beginning of a new sermon series, which is titled, Follow Me, Living as Disciples of Jesus. Throughout the summer, we will have the opportunity to explore our identities as disciples of Christ, and we'll answer questions such as, what makes us disciples? What do disciples do? What do disciples of Jesus believe Are there benefits to being a disciple in Christ? The short answer is yes, there are. Uh, Is there a cost to being a disciple of Christ? The short answer, once again, is yes, there is, but it's worth it. But we will find out these things and much more as we dive into the series this summer. So let me encourage you to, number one, be here for each Sunday as we explore what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Bring a notebook, bring a pen, bring your Bible, and bring a friend. Okay, as we get ready to hear and receive the word uh, throughout the uh, summer for this series. And so this morning, as we start our series, we have a title, a sermon that is titled Discipleship, His Call. So if you're taking notes, you may want to write that down. Discipleship, His Call. Our text for this morning is Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. So if you have your Bible uh, with you or on your phone, please get there now, Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. What we are going to see in today's text is just a small part of what Mark is trying to communicate to his readers regarding the person of Christ. You see, for the first eight chapters of Mark, Mark demonstrates word by word, page by page, the divine authority of Jesus Christ over and over and over again. In fact, in the first chapter alone, Mark is going to make several statements about Christ, including His identity as the Son of God, His might, how He will baptize with the Holy Spirit, His relationship with God the Father, His temptation by Satan and being cared for by the angels, His proclamation to repent and believe the Gospel, and that is just in the first 15 verses of the chapter. And even though today we're going to look at a very small number of verses uh, this morning, there is much to be gleaned from as it relates to the authority of Christ and his calling on our lives to follow him. So let's dive into the Word together. I would like to ask you to do something a little differently this morning. If you are physically able to and willing, I would like to ask you to stand in honor of reading the Word of God. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 16, going through to verse 20. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Would you pray with me? Father, as we have heard your word read, I pray that it would just go out like a seed being sown into the hearts of those who hear. Lord, may you use it this morning to produce a fruit unto your glory and your honor. Thank you for your word being written and revealed to us. Thank you for helping us understand it by the power of your Spirit And Lord, even now, I pray that you would help us to have ears at hear and eyes at see. Lord, help us to see the way that your word relates to our lives as we know it does. Each and every single time we open it up and read it. Thank you for Jesus, what he's done for us on the cross on our behalf. It's in his name. Of course, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So the first thing we are going to see in this morning's passage, if you are a note taker, you like to take notes, you may want to take this note down, is... His call to follow Him. His call to follow Him. This is from verses 16 and 17. We know from verse 21 that Jesus is headed in the direction of uh, Capernaum on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee. And along the way, although not accidentally by any means, He comes across two brothers Simon, who would later be known as Simon Peter, and yes, that Peter, if you're thinking of, is that the Peter from the Bible? Yes, it is that Peter from the Bible. And he comes across, Andrew. And they were fishing. The ESV translation literally says they were casting their nets into the sea. Now, fishing in the Sea of Galilee was a little bit different than the way that we might think about fishing today. You see, fishing was their job. And so they didn't fish with a rod and reel like maybe... Uh, many of us do, they fished with these weighted nets that required a tremendous amount of skill and muscle to use effectively. I, I won't get into the technical details of how they fished with nets, but Mark makes it clear from the passage that Simon and Andrew, as well as James and John, they're working. And we'll explore more of that in a moment. But Jesus sees these two men out there fishing and calls out to them saying, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Uh, the Gospel of Matthew records the exact same words in the fourth chapter. John chapter 1 records a little bit of a different interaction in which we learn Andrew had a previous interaction with Jesus and actually brought Peter to him. It, it is at this point in the Gospel of John that Simon's name is actually changed to Peter, or, or Cephas. Uh, the Gospel of Luke tells us that Jesus got into the boat with them and called them to let down their nets once more, despite not having caught any fish all night. That's in Luke chapter 5. And so these, the accounts of Mark, John, and Luke, as well as Matthew, they give us a, a I'm going to use a word here, I need, to, I need to give an explanation, a fuller picture of what has happened here. Now, that is not to say that what Mark is describing is inefficient or ineffective, We have to remember something about gospel writers. They're not writing with the same historical accuracy that we as Western thinkers tend to think history should be written as. Mark writes with a purpose. And so if Mark chooses to leave out this detail or that detail that doesn't align with his purpose of what he's trying to get his readers to see, then y'all, that's okay. That's not something we grab our, our torches and our pitchforks over. That's something we go, okay, if that's what he did, then why did he do it? And as I previously stated, the whole reason why Mark is writing, even the call to follow uh, Jesus for these disciples, it's to demonstrate ultimately the authority of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is calling His disciples is to, in a way in which we'll we'll describe in a moment, to show us his, His authority, His divinity, and His purposes. And it's worth noting, too, that Jesus calling His disciples to follow Him is even uh, irregular according to the pattern of their day. You'll notice in the text that Jesus sought them out and called them to follow Him. Normally, the students approach the teacher to become a follower rather than the teacher approaching the students. Uh, Daniel Akin noted in his commentary on Mark that in the rabbinic schools of the day, the aspiring student sought out the respected rabbi. Further, the students' allegiance was to the law, not to the teacher. Jesus' form of discipleship is fundamentally different then. Jesus seeks them out and their allegiance will be not to the law, but to Him. When Jesus calls Simon, Andrew, James, and John to follow Him, He is in fact calling them to Himself. When the Lord Jesus calls His disciples, He is not calling them to memorization, interpretation, and application of the law upon their lives. He is calling them to Him. He who said, Come to Me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He who said, Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. He who said, I came not to call the righteous, But sinners, it is He who the disciples have been called to follow. And it is Him that we today are called to follow as well. I like the way that Dane Ortland puts it in his book, Gentle and Lowly. He wrote that we do not come to a set of doctrines. We do not come to a church. We do not even come to the gospel. All these are vital. But most truly, we come to a person, to Christ Himself. We follow Christ. And let's notice something else from verse 17. He said, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. This phrase fishers of men is something that actually has connections back to the Old Testament. There's a place in Jeremiah chapter 16 where God promises to send out fishermen and hunters to gather His people together for judgment. And we know like he's speaking to the nation of Israel, right? But I can't help but wonder if he thought about Mississippi when he said fishermen and hunters. We're known as an outdoor state, are we not? But regardless, in Jeremiah 16, verses 16 through 18, he wrote, he says, "...behold, I am sending for many fishers, declares the Lord, and they shall catch them. And afterward I will send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and every hill and out of the clefts of the rocks. For my eyes are on all their ways." They are not hidden from me, nor is their iniquity concealed from my eyes. But first I will doubly repay their iniquity and their sin, because they have polluted my land with the carcasses of their detestable idols and have filled my inheritance with their abominations. In the context of Jeremiah, the fishermen and hunters will gather together those who are fleeing from the righteous judgment of God against their idolatry and the sin in their land. Here in Mark chapter 1, the fishermen that Jesus is going to make them become will not be gathering, or if I may, fishing for people for the sake of judgment, but for the sake of redemption. In both cases, the similarity is that God is raising a group of people to gather people together, to gather others together according to His purposes. Y'all, right from the beginning... Jesus made it clear that his disciples would be folks who would strive in bringing others to God. If if I may say it like this, Jesus called his disciples to follow him, and they were going to be people who brought others to him. And perhaps in this moment, the temptation for you is to dismiss the notion of bringing people to Jesus. Did Jesus really mean that all Christians were expected to bring people to him? To be fishers of people, is that something that really applies to the whole of Christianity? Or is that something that's reserved more for the disciples in the day, and maybe pastors of this day, and elders of this day? Who does that really apply to? Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 and 38 say, uh, Jesus said, The harvest is plentiful, plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Psalm 105 verse 1 gives us a pure call to make known the deeds of the Lord. Oh give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name and make known his deeds among the peoples. Jesus himself actually prays for all future believers in John chapter 17 verses 20 through 21. He said, "I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe me, believe in me." through their word, that they may all be one, just as You, Father, are in Me, and I in You, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that You have sent Me. There is no doubt that Jesus still calls people to not only follow Him, but also to bring others to Him as well. Which begs the question, This is the question I had to ask myself before I could ever write it down on a piece of paper. When was the last time that you brought someone to Christ? And I'm not saying like you're the reason they're saved, but I am asking when was the last time you intentionally sat down and shared the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ with another person who does not know Him? Y'all, and this is not, I do not want to heap condemnation here because I fall short in this area so much as well. But I do want to bring it to light that this is our calling in life as believers in Christ is to make disciples and to make known the Gospel, to make known Jesus Himself to the nations. The expectation of what it means to follow Christ is to be someone who makes disciples. He links them together. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. For me to lower the standard and say that Christ does not expect you to make disciples is for me to distort, dishonor, and disobey the words of Jesus. Following Jesus is our call. Fishing for humanity with the Gospel, with the good news of Jesus, is the task. And so we are called, each and every single one of us, we are called to follow Him, and fish for men. And ladies too. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The next thing I want us to notice in this passage of Scripture is Simon, Andrews, James, and John's response to, call, to, to the call to follow Jesus. Uh, in verses uh, 18, we'll start there. Immediately they left their nets and followed Him. This is, of course, Simon and Andrew. And then verse 19, Going on a little farther, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hard servants and followed him. Uh, these four men answered the call to follow Jesus both immediately and fully. Which brings us to our second, final point for this morning. If you'd like to take notes, you may want to write this down. His call to follow Him now and completely. His call to follow Him now and completely. Verses 18-20. through Simon and Andrew, we are told in the text, are casting their nets. They're in the middle of their work. Jesus calls them to follow Him and become fishers of men. And we are told in the text, immediately they left their nets and followed Him. Now something you'll notice as you read throughout the book of Mark is that Mark is a man of action. Mark doesn't like to sit around and think about things. Mark likes to get up and move. And so this word, immediately, it gives us the connotation that uh, when Jesus called, there was immediate action afterwards. Immediately, the word itself actually appears over 30 times in the book of Mark. And Mark, who is, I I need to remind us, he is writing... uh, by the influence of Peter himself, like when you think about Peter's life and his ministry, you'll notice that Peter doesn't really do a whole lot of sitting around talking either. Peter's a man of action. And I'm pretty certain that if Mark and Peter lived in our day and age, they would wear Nike clothing because the slogan fits with their lifestyle. Just do it. And so they may not agree with Nike on all the other stuff, but they would be behind that slogan. Just do it. Mark tells us in verse 18 that Simon and Andrew's response to follow Jesus was met with immediate obedience. Jesus called them and they followed Him. The same is true for James and John in verse 20. Immediately called them and they left their followers Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed Him. Except we get a little taste of something different with James and John, right? Simon and Andrew, you may be able to rationalize their obedience away with the thought that Perhaps the fishing business wasn't all that good. Maybe it was just really hot that day. Maybe they saw this as their opportunity of a lifetime to get out from underneath the the weight of the net and be able to, to spread their wings and fly, right? They weren't losing much in the end, even if this whole Jesus thing fell out, right? But that's not the case you get with James and John. James and John were leaving their family business behind. A family business that was doing well enough for their father Zebedee, for him to, for him to hire servants to help with the labor. That's indicative of a business that's, that could very well be thriving. In fact, when you go back and you look at, y'all, I'm about to nerd out on y'all for a second here. When you go back and look at the first century fishing business in Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, business was good. You know what I'm saying? It's like the AI stock of their day, man. It's booming. Things are good to be. It's good to be a fisherman in that day. But the cost for them, James and John, Simon and Andrew, to follow Christ was everything. Simon and Andrew left their work behind to follow Jesus. James and John, we know, they left their work, but they also left their family business behind as well. It seems to me that Luke chapter 9 verse 62 applies well here to both these groups of men where it says, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. When Jesus calls these men to follow Him, they follow Him immediately and they follow Him with everything they've got. They leave their jobs and family behind to follow Jesus. Now here's where I may rub you the wrong way this morning because I used that sacred word a second ago, family. We might think it a bit strange for James and John to leave Zebedee, their father behind, to tend the family business so they could follow Jesus. We might even think that's downright unchristian, to be honest. But it wasn't. And it still isn't today. Today. I'd like to share with you two passages from Scripture that I think will help us to fit uh, to think about family in the right perspective. First Timothy chapter five verse eight says, "But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever." Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 to 39, Jesus said, "Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword." Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. These two passages of Scripture help us to understand the place, and maybe the better word here is priority of family. And, and, I'll, and I'll dig a little deeper here too, a little more specific, especially children as it pertains to the average American family. Where believers, in, the, in both passages considering Believers are obligated to care, love, and provide for their families, but the idolatry of the family is something that is seen in Scripture as a negative. Uh, What I don't want you to do is take away from today that you need to hate your spouse or your children in order to follow Jesus. That's not what Scripture says. That's not what I'm teaching up here. Scripture does teach us is that when we love our families to the point that it produces disobedience unto God, then they have become idols. James and John exhibit this in our passage this morning. They left the family business behind to follow Jesus. They were all in. And you may not have a family business keeping you from following Jesus. You may, that may not be the thing you need to leave behind. Maybe something completely different. This morning, I, I beg you to consider the question what is keeping you from wholesale following Christ? What is it for you? And as many people as in this room, I bet there's a different response from each of us, right? Sometimes it's our comfort. I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to step out. I'm afraid of what people may think of me, what they'll say, maybe what even they'll do. Maybe it's the fact that you haven't thought about really pursuing Christ because you're busy with your own pursuits, and I got to see my business succeed. I got to get my education. I got to do this, this, that, and the other. I got to make sure my kid is is potty trained by the time they go to preschool. I got to make sure this is done. This happens right. Like we're so we're so inundated with all these other things that we don't even give thought to the things of Christ. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's that somehow you think that you'll do what you want to do now and hey I'll follow Jesus later maybe you're waiting for retirement maybe you're waiting for the kids to be growing out of the house maybe it's one of these things where if I can just get to this point then I'll follow Jesus I'll tell you in my experience speaking to a lot of people over the years in ministry Every time they get to that one point, there's always another point, and there's always another point, and there's always another point, and they actually get to the end of their lives having never followed Jesus at all. What is keeping you today from following Christ with everything you've got and right now, y'all? There's there's one more uh, thing I want to bring up. when we are called to act in faith, there's a certain element of not knowing what's going to come next, right? Is it a simple lack of trust in Christ that is keeping you from following Jesus? Do you not think that He's capable of taking care of your needs? That He's not capable of providing everything that you need? Follow Christ first, and let all other things fall into place. Simon and Andrew, James and John, these four disciples whom Christ would use to turn the world upside down for Himself, left everything behind in order to follow Him. What's stopping you from doing the same today? Uh, I mentioned something at the beginning of the sermon I've not really touched base on at this point. Uh, the divinity and authority of Jesus Mark's first eight chapters are written in such a way to demonstrate His divinity and authority as the Son of God. So, which begs the question, how does our passage this morning fit into Mark's overarching purpose of displaying the authority of Christ? It demonstrates the authority of Jesus by the calling of four men to leave everything behind, to follow Him right then and right there. That's why I can call you this morning to do the same thing, not because I'm particularly authoritative, nor am I even very charismatic, but because Scripture teaches us that Jesus is divine, that He is God, and that He is worthy of our lives and our obedience. So as we prepare to close, I want to show you from the book of Mark the divinity of Jesus Christ. In the book of Mark, Jesus is described as the Son of God. That's verse 1. He is described as being mightier than John the Baptist. He is described as being the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. He is described as the one who is the beloved Son of God. He was the one who was tempted by Satan, yet Satan failed in his temptations. He is the one who preaches the gospel. He is the one who calls the disciples to follow Him. He is the one who teaches with authority. He is the one who drives out unclean spirits. He is the one who heals the sick. He is the one who shuts the mouths of demons. He is the one who cleanses the leper spots. He is the one who forgives sin and heals the paralyzed man. He is the one who perceived the heart of the Pharisees and the scribes and knew their thoughts. He is the one who, taught, who calls tax collectors to follow Him. He is the one who came for sinners. He is the bridegroom of the church. He is Lord of the Sabbath. He is the one who restores the withered hand. He is the one who preaches to the masses. He is the brother to those who do the will of God. He is the great teacher. He is the one who calms the storm. He is the one who drove out the legion of demons. and He is the great physician. He is the one who who brought Jairus' daughter back to life. He is the prophet who is rejected at Nazareth. He is the one who sends out his apostles. He is the one who fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish. He is the one who walked upon the water. He is the one who calls out the Pharisees for their hypocrisy. He is the one who heals the Syrophoenician woman's daughter. He is the one who gives hearing to the deaf. He is the one who fed the 4,000. He is the one who gives sight to the blind. He is the one who is the Christ. He is the one who foretells His death and resurrection. And y'all, that's only the first eight chapters of Mark. In chapter 9, I don't know who did it, but thank you. In chapter 9, he is transfigured. In chapter 10, he accepts little children while rejecting the rich. In chapter 11, he enters Jerusalem in triumph on the colt of a donkey and cleanses the temple of the money changers. In chapter 12, he gives the greatest commandment and praises the poor woman's faith. In chapter 13, he foretells the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem and foretells his second coming at the end of the age. In 14, he is anointed at Bethany, he feasts with the disciples, he prays and then is betrayed in the garden. In chapter 15, he is delivered to Pilate, crucified on a cross for the sins of man and laid in a tomb. And then 16, he is raised to life and commissions his disciples to proclaim the gospel throughout the whole earth. This is the Jesus whom Mark writes of. This is the Jesus whom Mark calls his readers to follow with urgency and immediacy and with everything they've got. This is the Jesus who has called us to live our lives for Him and for Him alone, denying ourselves, taking up His cross, and following Him. It is this Jesus, y'all, that we follow and we profess and we confess as both Lord and Savior. It is this Jesus who, when He calls us to follow Him, He is calling us to the very heart of who He is if it be within your heart and mind this morning to follow this Christ and to become a fisher of man alongside the multitude and generations of Christians throughout history, then let me urge you at the first keystroke of our invitation song, go to the back by one of the back doors and go talk to a pastor. Go talk to somebody because he's worth following right here, right now, with everything you've got. What's keeping you from following Him? Would you pray with me? Lord, You are truly the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, the One who gave His life as a ransom for many. And I'm reminded that right now you are the one who is interceding on behalf of believers before the Father in heaven. So Lord, as you intercede on our behalf, would you reach down and draw us to you? Lord, help every heart and mind in this room, including my own, to have a right vision of who You are and to see that the calling to follow You is not one that is, that is, that is, a, that is a trifle of a thing in the, in the midst of our lives. But Lord, is the whole thing. It's the point to why we are here. To know You and to make You known. Lord, would you, would you reveal that in our hearts and our lives this morning? Lord, would you draw the sinner to you? Would you call us to follow you? And Lord, would you help us to obey? Lord, in all these things, our obedience unto you, our calling to follow you, all these things are predicated on the fact that you have been crucified on our behalf and that you have been raised from the dead. So Lord, thank you. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for the manner in which you've loved us. Thank you for your calling even today to follow you with everything that we are, with everything that we've got. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.